I really feel that people need to spend more time really internalizing this idea that God made them beautiful, right? And that the wounds and the, the defects that they have are inherently a blessing to each other. The, the quirks that I have, the quirks that you have, that might be weird or things that you think are deficiencies in your personality are ultimately the things that are attractive and compelling to other people. Grant Hoffman is a mentor, friend, and former boss of mine. He reflects on the podcast, some hard words given to him early in his career, and how it shaped his people-first management philosophy. Today, he runs a healthcare software company after stints in consulting and startups and a Fortune 500 company along the way. And more than that, he just reflects on the lessons learned and how he's become more comfortable in his skin and how he puts it, how God uses the scraps in our life to make some beautiful things happen. Enjoy this conversation with Grant Hoffman. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. So Grant Hoffman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's really, really great to talk to you after a long time not doing it. I know. The last time that we spoke, I remember I actually reached out to you to say, hey, Grant, I am going to make a career transition. And I'd love to tell you about it. So we, we set up a call similar to this. Uh, fortunately, there's no big news to share about a career transition, but it just reminds me of you know people in my life that I want to share big moments with. And you're one of those people. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. You know, I think a lot of times people don't appreciate what a blessing that is to the person who gets that call. You know, you often think about the fact that you're, you know, you're, you might be bothering somebody else or interrupting their day, but those types of reach outs are a blessing to the person who receives them in the same way they are to the one who's kind of reaching out to talk about it. So, I mean, and that's a really genuine thing. And another fun story that I want to share is how you provide it for me. So would you mind if I go, turn back the clock a little bit? Yeah, please do. So the story that pops out to me is something that I'm curious if you remember saying this, because this made a big impact on me. As I said, to set the stage, I had just graduated college my first real job out of school, moved from Virginia to North Carolina at this startup called Mercury MD. You were leading the customer service team at that point, and I was a new hire. So you were a couple levels above me. I remember one day you actually shared something with me that sounded harsh, but was really thoughtful. What it was, it provided for me because you said, Justin, you need to be intentional about your career. You need to look out for it because I'm not able to do that for you. And to be honest, when I first heard that as a recent graduate, you know, not knowing what the corporate environment's like, I'm thinking, well, that's kind of harsh. Like he's not looking out for me. But then I realized what you're saying is I needed to be intentional with my growth and to let you know where I wanted to grow because that wasn't your full-time job. So I don't know if you remember sharing that with me or if that's something you share to a lot of young professionals, but I specifically remember that conversation. I don't remember specifically having that with you, but it is something that I say all the time. And it's because it's advice that I have needed to hear myself. And so for some of those people who've been mentors in my life that have provided for me, those are the kinds of things that they say. A lot of times it's easy to tell people things that make them feel good. And that's certainly my nature. You know, I don't revel in conflict. I don't like conflict that much. But I've learned that in order to kind of balance being a provider as opposed to just being Santa or just being a soldier, you have to do both. And so I'm intentionally trying to give medicine to others that I know I myself need to hear and that I'm tempted not to give. So yeah, that sounds like something that I would say because it's something that's been said to me. 
Well, I resonate with that. And I needed to hear that because like you, I don't want to deal conflict. I just want everyone to get along and have a good time. And, and in a lot of ways, that's what makes us successful. And so how did you bridge that gap in your career? You said a mentor shared some of that similar advice to you. How have you grown in that area of your career in life? I can remember a specific example early on in my career where I was given some tough love. I was a young consultant and was traveling and, you know, wearing a suit back when people used to wear suits. I guess I'm dating myself since nobody does that anymore. And going on sites as a, as an early 20 something and trying to pretend like I knew what I was talking about. And I remember going into a meeting and having a discussion with someone. I have no idea what we talked about, but I was giving a presentation and it was to people who were in their forties or fifties. And I was posturing like I was the expert and done all this research. We walk out of the meeting and the partner who was with me, who was older and was my mentor at the time, literally we closed the door into the car and got in. And I thought things had gone really well. I was like, man, I really, I showed some gravitas I really kind of killed it. And he just looked over at me and he goes, Grant, what the hell was that? And I said, what do you mean? What the hell was that? He said, why did you suddenly morph into somebody else in the meeting? What were you talking about? And I was trying to be kind of like studiously cynical and I don't know what I was doing. I think I was just trying to kind of fake it till I make it. I remember him just saying, don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. He said, you kind of need to be who you are and that's good enough. He said it in a way that at the time was really harsh. I was like, oh, no, I disappointed this guy, which is the exact opposite of what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into that meeting, and I wanted everyone to like me, and I wanted to look competent, and I wanted to look like I know what I was doing. These aren't bad impulses, but I just remember the way he stopped me up short is something that still rings in my ears 20 years later. And so it's those sometimes the teachable moments are the ones where someone sort of grabs you and says, you need to know this. Just lets it stand on its own, and it has its own power. And so in a weird way, I was provided for by someone who cared enough to gently tell me that that was okay, right, to do that. Um, but I've had other mentors in my career, to your original question, who would say, you know, you should apply for this role, or you should think about doing this, to kind of give you a sort of a sense of vision and say, but you've got to do it. You've got to be the one to do it. Because left to my own devices, everybody wants things to just sort of happen and sort of fall in their lap. But that's typically not the way a lot of transitions kind of get made. Sometimes that happens just through the serendipity of God's providence for us, but not always. Well, that was something that I needed to hear. Being a young professional, you have an idea of what the workforce is going to be like, and then you get into it and you don't know what it's like. And so it was very helpful for me to have that voice in my ear. And another thing you said was in the customer service industry, always play ping pong with the customer where like they give you something, then just shoot it right back to them and make sure to have that. And so I want to let you know, like, I don't know how many people can say, wow, I still remember some specific conversations and some people speaking things into my life that has positively influenced my career. But those are a couple of stories I wanted to share with you about just me being intentional, not assuming that the vice president is looking out for my next move. And then to play ping pong with customers to make sure that it's, it's back in their court. A lot of books have been written about this, but the whole adage behind it is it's not about you. When you think it's about you, then you take your focus off of the people you're serving, whether that's your customers or your family or the people that work for you, or when you think about yourself, the other thing that happens is you just assume, since you're at the center of your own orbit, that other people are thinking about you when you know maybe they're not. And so in a weird way, it's, it's actually, you're getting the focus off of yourself by articulating kind of needs and wants. You're serving the person instead of assuming that they're always kind of focused on you because they're thinking about the narrative that's going on in their own head. So you can be a provider to your boss 
You can be a provider to your customers. You can be a provider to people that you're accountable to by serving them, by being clear about the things that you want and having spent some time thinking about that. In the same way that it's a blessing and a gift to you when someone is direct and clear with you about areas where they, you want, they want you to grow. And we think we're being nice. I think I'm being nice because by, you know, I'm a people pleaser, I'm neurotic, you know, I've got all those things. So in a weird way, when you get the attention off of yourself, that's a, a license to be more direct and more forthright and more honest in your communications in a way that, that blesses everybody. And that's counterintuitive to the way that we think. We think that we're being nice by shading the truth and pulling things out. And those are my tendencies. So I've had to lean in the other direction in order to provide and be provided for. Sometimes it's just an honest conversation. You know, the scriptures say an honest word is like a kiss on the lips. And everybody needs to hear that. And then when you get into management or roles where you're a CEO or a senior executive, you are increasingly less exposed to people who will tell you the truth. I had a joke of a friend who used to say that, by the time the body gets to me, it is so perfumed and so powdered up that I can't even tell it's dead. So there is sort of an attenuation of real, honest information feedback sometimes that comes when you're in the higher ranks of a corporation and you have to seek those things out. And the people who tell you the truth and the customers that tell you the truth and the mentors that tell you where you're not doing well are all that much more valuable for. So you're provided for by having honest and clear dialogue. I love it. It's relevant because you're president of a division of your company. And so it sounds like you're trying to keep yourself sensitive to this fact of maybe people aren't going to give me the hard word. And then, so how do you still seek that out in a non-defensive way of saying, no, I want to grow. Like I want to provide for you more to do that professionally in the role that you're in. It's got to be challenging, as you mentioned. It would be trite to say that you have to model it, but that's true. I think people will bring information to you if they know that they, you can trust you with it. And we have a saying kind of where we work now that we attack problems, not people. Whether Now, that's true in your family. That's true in any kind of function that you're in. How you graciously receive information, even when it's hard to hear, and how you react to that, fortunately, says a lot about whether or not somebody will risk and choose to do that the next time. You know, you, you've talked a lot about the idea of vulnerability in relationships and how that kind of breaks down a whole lot of barriers. When you're in a position of trust and leadership, regardless of what that is, your ability to model that, you know, some honesty and kind of some trans redemptive transparency about your own weaknesses and your fears and your concerns, that breaks down barriers hugely for people. But when they reciprocate, your ability to respond with graciousness and with patience and with working the problem, not shooting the messenger, means everything as to whether or not you will get a culture that encourages that again. That's true in your family. Think about raising sons or daughters or your, your interactions with your wife or your, your spouse. The same types occur. That reciprocity of being vulnerable and then accepting vulnerability from someone else is a two-way street and it's a bit of a dance to take some teamwork in order for that to work well. Following this thread of career transitions and how you be intentional with your career and how you model that in my life, I remember you were a director, vice president at the company I was in, and then you went back to get your MBA. So you were doing your MBA while working, and that was a great model for me to see. Like, oh man, this guy's a couple levels up and he's getting his MBA. And I remember you sharing that you're doing that and modeling that and, and even offering a letter of recommendation for me when I ultimately went back to school as well. So what was that process like for you? Was that an easy next step? And was that an example of you being intentional in your career? Oh, I was really scared. I was really scared to go do it. And I was scared because, you know, the voices that were running around in my head was less about like the workload and things like that. But it was more of, well, what if I try it and I fail? What if I go take the, tell people I'm doing this and I go sign up for the GMAT 
And then, you know, the score says, don't let this guy anywhere near a university. Like those were the thoughts that were running in my head. So I had a lot of fear of external failure of putting myself out there and saying I was going to do something. And then maybe that doesn't happen. Just a fear of what if I don't get in and what will people think? I've kind of wrestled with those types of things all my life. But I had the person who was my boss at the time, a guy who you know, said, you know, you, you should go do this. And it was said again in a very matter of fact way. Again, sometimes you have people who just in your life that come up to you and just sort of say, you should do this. And even if the final calculus of that, you do something that's slightly different, sometimes some of us need an external impetus that says, you can do this and it's okay to do this. For example, like when I went to college, um, this is another example of that type of, of thinking. I was in, involved in a Christian fellowship group called University Christian Fellowship. I had never in my life going into college had ever given a kind of talk in front of somebody else. I had never played music in front of anybody else, even though kind of my whole life I've been a musician and have played music. Those were just parts of me kind of going into college that I didn't feel like I had any worth or any capabilities or anything to give in that area. And so I had a campus staff worker who became good friends with who just said, you know, you should go do this. You have gifts in this area. You should consider it. And to make it easy for you, I'm effectively going to, it's like being on a zip line, you know, where you're at the top of the zip line and someone just gives you a shove and tells you to go off the edge. It's effectively what he did. He said, we're having a retreat this fall. I'd like you to kind of play all the music for that. And then I'd like you to give the talk. I was like, you know, what, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't do this. This is sort of not who I am. So I've been provided for in some really very direct ways by people just saying, you should go do this. Our reluctance to put ourselves out there, whether it's to go back and for you to get your MBA or to say, you know, I'm going to quit this whole CEO thing and I'm going to go start something new is deeply scary because of sort of the performance aspect to it. But when there's just one person out there who says, I think you can do this, that's incredibly powerful because in a weird way, you, you think you're being humble when you don't take those types of chances. But what you're really doing again is you're making it all about you. You're saying, I don't have the confidence that God knew what he was doing when he brought this opportunity to me, or I don't have the confidence that God knew what he was doing when he made me this way. With all my weird flaws and hangups and glitches that are there, but if you just sort of trust that you can be used in that kind of way, you are actually in a weird way getting the focus off yourself, right? If you think about it that way, stop with your own hangups and your own neuroses and your self-doubt, which is, leads you to being Santa just want to please people or just hunkering in your own little bunker. That's everything. And so what other people speaking in your life, telling you that you can do something and listening to your maker and your creator and believing he knows what he was doing has always been kind of the thing that happens. So I, I know there are people out there who just kind of grab life by the horns and go make things happen, but there's a whole segment of us out there that need to be told that it's okay. And they'd be given that vision. And that's kind of was the gift that somebody gave me before I went to business school was that it was possible, but I had to kind of internalize that before I could provide for others or even provide for myself, I had to believe that I was worth being provided for by the one who made me. And then you can't get really far without doing that. You know what I mean? That was kind of, kind of how I thought about it. So I'm glad that like, I think you probably had maybe a little bit more impetus to kind of do that. You know, you might've been a little more free about that, but for those of us who feel kind of bent in on themselves a lot, Sometimes you need that voice from someone to tell you that, yeah, you can do it. In that case, I kind of got that. And it got me over the fear of being hung up about me because it ultimately wasn't about me. That's huge. And I think, isn't it funny? You don't 
maybe would think you'd learn that through an MBA or through the process of applying for an MBA, but it just gets exposed that, that underlying fear or that belief that I'm not good enough for this. Or what if I fail? And it looks like that, I, you know, wasn't uh, the right person for this and I'm not senior management material. And it just took taking that next step and having that positive voice in your life. I just have this philosophy that God can use scraps. So not, not that you're a scrap or anything like that, but one of the things that was really exciting for me when, when I first got to know you and when we were interviewing you was I just thought you were such a whole and authentic and genuine person and kind of unafraid to be in your own skin, even at that age. And I thought that, that there was something very, very beautiful about that uh, because kind of a wholehearted commitment to something is inherently attractive and it emboldens other people to want to do the same. In any kind of leadership, being around people that are deeply and unabashedly committed to something, even if they look foolish in the process, is incredibly powerful. And we had those types of leaders back at Mercury MD, right? You know, that believed that it was worth trying to do the impossible, even if we didn't know it was impossible at the time. And that took us an awful long way. That was a fuel that kind of kind of drove us. It's really amazing to think back about the power of influence, where you may not have even know the influence that you were making in my life or in others, even down to some of the smaller things. Like I remember there was always this individual that come to your office and want some time with you. And you started to just go on a walk. Like you'd see this individual come to the office and you would just walk out your office and say, hey, well, just join me. I'm going to stretch your legs a little bit. And it was like those little moments that you may not think that someone's watching, but you're making an influence with how we act. And I just think that's kind of the beauty of providing for others is that without knowing it, we are providing either doing it well or not doing it well, but we can't just get out of the game. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and it's a blessing too, right? So, I mean, I feel like, yeah, I'm sure you probably feel this way too, right? That the older that you get, sometimes it feels indulgent really, or really self-absorbed to even have a conversation about this at some level. But the, the older I get, the more I begin to intrinsically enjoy it for the process itself. Like, so, you know, when I see, for example, some of the the, the, the beautiful and good chances that you're taking in your career to go explore and do other things and you're putting yourself out there, it makes me very proud. And like when I, when I have a chance to touch people on the shoulder or be touched on the shoulder myself and saying, you know, you ought to think about this, you ought to do this. And I think you can do this. That is inherently satisfying, right? So, you know, the pot of the gold at the end of the rainbow, Justin, is never about the, the goal you think you're reaching for. It's ultimately about kind of, did you intrinsically help someone else for their goals along the way? So I used to think that provider was like, being a provider was a burden, that there's this burden of leadership and I'll take it on and I got to take on these things for my family and, you know, work and career and just stack some more on the load and I'll take it on and I'll, I'll be proud. Maybe I'll be proud or feel like that I'm kind of doing these things. But what I didn't realize uh, and what I'm just now beginning, I think, to really realize is that there, therein lies the satisfaction itself, like that it is ultimately a privilege and a blessing to be able to be a provider. You know what I mean? That that is in its own reward as opposed to kind of sort of a, you know, a byproduct or a necessary thing you have to do on the way. Like it, in other words, to, to be cheesy about it, it is its own destination. It'd be really funny to do a word count of how many times I said provider before my father passed away. And then after <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> night and day, there's something about thinking about legacy, right? And thinking about what do you want to say at someone's funeral? And then what do you want for have others say about you at your funeral? And it really makes you pause and think, gosh, yeah, to your point, it is about others. Yeah, for sure. 
I hope that at my funeral, again, to be self-indulgent for a minute, I hope that at my funeral, people say that Grant believed that people were beautiful and that they were worth investing in. Because I think a lot of times we don't believe that about ourselves, right? It, especially if you've grown up in a Christian culture, you absorb maybe some appropriate theology about our depravity and the, the limitations you know, that we have in the, the areas where we're, we're sinful or difficult. But I really feel that people need to spend more time really internalizing this idea that God made them beautiful, right? And that the wounds and the, the defects that they have are inherently a blessing to each other. The, the quirks that I have, the quirks that you have, that might be weird or things that you think are deficiencies in your personality are ultimately the things that are attractive and compelling to other people. It's not just vulnerability for the sake of vulnerability. It's really believing that. So you know, you got to believe that about your children and your spouse and your friends and your employees and your boss. And then there are subsets of people that you work with that especially need to hear that, that they are inherently and intrinsically worth investing in. Like, you know, female employees, your daughters, you know, which might not inherently have been told those messages. Minority employees especially need to hear this kind of idea that they are worth it, that they can be tapped on the shoulder and that, God made them beautiful because there are cultural messages around them that maybe you and I both as white males don't have to absorb, you know, or don't absorb as readily. And I think that's another way that you can be a provider to those people in your lives by, by doing that. So I hope at my funeral, anyway, that was a long way of saying, I just hope at my funeral that someone will say, Grant really believed in people and, and he loved them. And I felt loved and cared for. And I felt that he believed in me and that that was sort of reflection of kind of their sense of how God views them. Well, that aligns with what I know about you, always investing in people and caring about people. And I know it's been hard for you when you've made those career transitions to say bye to people as well. So this hasn't been easy of you know how your career has gone. And so, because you've had to leave people and you really care about them. And at the same time, you recognize that now's the time to go. And, and for people that might be like you, where it's people first, but you know it's time to go, what are the ways that you've been able to to do that successfully? Well, I mean, remember, it's not about you, right? So, you know, your, your ability to kind of be ready and available for transitions, particularly if they're uh, work or family transitions, will come from the fact that you have set up and invested in people and systems so that they don't depend on you. So when you are able to go away uh, for a while on a vacation or on bereavement leave in your, in your case, and then you come back and you know that the system is running well, you know, you've done the honorable and the right thing as a steward of your role, which is to work your way out of a job. If you create a culture of dependency where you're needed, you yourself will not be available to take the step for whatever God has for you next. And then your team around you will not have been provided for because you built it all to depend on an orbit that runs around you. So I think preparation, um, people always talk about being ready for an opportunity when it comes up, you know, and you think about that in terms of preparing yourself and I've made my own luck because I was out there hustling for these opportunities. I think your ability to disengage is equally as important and reflects your real stewardship of what it is. Just in the same way that you know, as your kids are growing up, you know, you're preparing them to live a life where they don't have to depend, you know, completely on you. And while it may gratify your own ego, part of the leaving and the saying goodbye is always bittersweet because, you know, you've reached the end of, you've reached this terminal station and it's time for you to kind of get off the bus and, you can't do that if you haven't prepared for people along the way. So your ability to disengage and be ready for the next thing 
depends on your ability to have provided for people well before that. Yeah, that's well put. What are ways that you take time for yourself or that you recognize that, hey, I need to be, you know, provide for my own life and not run on empty? For me, um, I'm, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert, which you might not sound like. I mean, you can be a person who profoundly loves people and then but treasures time alone. Um, and that's certainly kind of who I am. So knowing that about myself, kind of retreating into the world of music and being outside or being alone together with people that you love and you're really close to, like the, the really closest of my friends and certainly my wife, you know, being able to be practice the art of being alone together so you have time to rest and think and exercise is huge for me. So those are just basic habits I think a lot of people have. I find music creating and listening to music and playing music is deeply restorative enjoying maybe a gift that God gave me and be able to kind of take pleasure in that. So that's, that's a good retreat for me. I'm curious, but during this COVID-19 era, have you found more time for music or has it been hard to find that time for music? Probably a little more, right? You know, I mean, because, you know, the, the blessing, there's the great pause is a blessing in the sense that there are fewer distractions. So what I found is maybe while I had 10 or 15 variables in my life, you know, that I had to kind of manage before now there might be, you know, five or six. And so, more time spent on fewer things is kind of the key to simplicity. And one of those things that I've definitely spent more time on for sure is, is music. Actually, I, I wrote, just, here's a way of you can kind of meld the personal and the professional together. You know, my, my team that I work for, the company I work with now, uh, leading our team, we have this big launch event that happens once a year where all of our systems and all of our people go live. And it's an overnight event where the entire company is on. So this year I composed and wrote and played a song by the way, if you really want to be humbling yourself, just look at yourself on video trying to kind of scratch out and, and sing and play something. But, you know, my, my measure of kind of full commitment to the team is being willing to embarrass myself by kind of putting it out there and encourage them a little bit. So our song for Go Live Night, you know, courtesy of the boss who doesn't mind making a fool of themselves. Oh, I'm so glad we, we discovered this story, this Grant Hoffman story of rallying the troops through singing. If the recording ever ends up on the internet, I'll fire whoever <laughs> put it out there. But it's just for them. So I'm, you can provide for, you can make your, so you can be a fool and then provide for the people you love and care about by doing those things. Again, it's the authentic you, right? And I would not ever touch that stuff with 10 foot pole. I wouldn't let anyone hear or play or listen to any music when I was growing up. That was my own little private thing. But then if you don't kind of give that gift away, you don't experience the vulnerability and the joy comes from being an authentic whole person, right? So again, you've got to get out of the way. You got to be stop worrying about how it plays in Peoria and just give those gifts even when they're imperfect, try to give them back. I'm sure that university staff worker smiling somewhere of uh, being the one to tap you on the shoulder to lead that weekend retreat with some worship and speaking. And then here you are as an executive busting out those musical skills. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm sure he is. And that's the, the legacy that you're leaving for those other people you have, right? Because people don't, you know, when you're, the blessing is in two way streets, right? You know, you sort of think about you don't reach some magic point where you've arrived and suddenly you're dispensing blessings out to other people. I'm blessed and encouraged and challenged daily by people who work for me and by my kids. I don't want it to sound like it's some sort of paternalistic thing. Like you reach some sort of state and then you have the ability to kind of talk about this. You can put yourself out there and share what you have to share when you're 15, when you're 20, and when you're 30 and you're 40, and everyone will get different value to that. And that's not false humility. That's really genuinely the way that it, that it works. And doing it in your authentic voice. Because when they heard you sing, they knew that, oh, this is the true Grant Hoffman. This isn't just some fake person. This is the vulnerable person. And I'm sure, like, how did it go over? Just to give our listeners, like, what, what was that like oh, after you did it? Well, I mean, I think, I think it went well, right? <laughs> right, you know, but that's a little dangerous to kind of self-critique it. But I, 
but just from the, I think it gave people a shot of energy that said, again, you know, the guy's willing to do this, right? You know, you're willing to be a fool is a, is a beautiful thing. I think I got a lot of positive things. Now, if you ask somebody after a full night of working, whether they still felt that way, they probably don't want to hear my reedy voice kind of like at five in the morning after they pulled an all-nighter, but people were gracious at least and kind of telling me that, you know, it went okay. That's great. Well, thank you for sharing some of the story because I know this was a timely conversation to be post that huge go live. So thanks for taking a breath and reflecting on this. And just once again, thanks for being a positive voice in my life. And and before we stop the recording here, was there anything else that you want to reflect on your personal journey of just to share and encourage others? That first talk that I, I had to give, right, when I was asked, I was like, you're on the stage, you go do it, go make it happen. You know, when I was in college, I spoke about First Samuel 16 because it was something that really resonated with me. And that's the story where the Lord sends Samuel to go to Jesse's house and, you know, one of his sons is going to be the king. And you know, he's going down the line. He's like, that one's looking tall. That one's strong. That one has good hair. This one probably got a 1600 on his SAT. That must be the the king. But Samuel said that, you know, the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. He looks at the heart. And, uh, you know, the result was King David, right? They came out of that. I think a lot of times we believe, certainly I believed in my own life that I was the runt of the litter, the weakling. But the weakling can and will be used in God's economy and the efficiency of his blessing is such that he can use those scraps and he can turn them into a symphony. And I'm not trying to be overly poetic about it. I'm just sort of saying that if you believe that about yourself, you know, and if you believe that about other people, you'll see God's blessing that are used in just amazing ways. And that's always been something that I've wanted to live by, is that he can take these tiny little scraps, these little deformed scraps, and he can turn beautiful things into that. He can do that in your life, he can do that in mine, and he can do that in the people that we are provided by and those that we are supposed to be a blessing to. And that's just such a great way to live because then, you know, you don't, it's not who you are, it's not, but you just have to be willing to use those little pieces and parts and the scraps get turned into something beautiful. That's been the fuel that's made it so valuable for me to be able to love and care for other people because I've kind of internalized this idea that it's how I've been cared for myself. Thank you for listening to this episode. Before you take off, I wanted to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called A Kind Word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting a kind word from me, simply sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Thanks again for listening. Bless and protect. Thank you.